to the best podcast uh hope you've had a good first month of the year and looking forward to seeing how things progress as we go on into the rest of 2019 i would really love to welcome juliet russell uh to the podcast podium uh she and i have known each other for quite some time she's a uh, singing teacher, vocal trainer, and she's done some really interesting things over the years, and we're going to talk about that during the podcast, including uh, working with various choirs, putting together arrangements for major artists such as Paloma Faith. She also works as a coach on The Voice, and so we might delve a little bit into that as a, a potential additional career. Uh, and also she's done some research and developed a, a toolkit for people who work with um, with patients who have lung problems and she's uh, does did that for the uh, the British Lung Foundation so we'll delve into that a little bit f further about her research and and how if you are working with somebody who's got some sort of deficit there in their lung health that maybe there's some tricks that uh, Juliet can help us with so welcome to the podcast Juliet Hello, thanks so much for having me and hello everyone out there, nice to see you. So I really um, love getting into the how singers got uh, into singing and then that transpired into uh, teaching. So can you tell us a few key points for you? Yeah, um, for me it was school really, school and church when I was younger. Um, and I was lucky that where I grew up had a brilliant music service so you could go to an after school choir um, and then through junior school and then graduate as you went into secondary school. Um, and I started teaching actually when I was 16, so I was young. Um, and I ran a school choir. So I sort of got into sort of teaching harmonies and harmonies was something that I was always really into and kind of came quite naturally to me. And I was always singing and driving my mum mad. Um, so yeah, I've, it's always been my, been my thing and my way that I express myself is through singing really. And it just became a sort of hobby that got out of hand, I suppose. <laughs> Did you have any specific career goals when you were younger? No, and to be honest, like goals are just one of those things that I, no, I didn't. And I didn't, to the extent that I didn't study music when I was at school, even though I was doing loads of music out of school. And then I studied um, totally different subjects, studied English and drama. Um, and I didn't actually start singing professionally till I was 25, which is probably quite late. I mean, I did, I did, I was singing a lot, but my first actual paid job for a record was so probably relatively late for most people. But I've always done both. I've always sung and taught. They've always sort of run in tandem. So at what point did you realise that maybe singing was a career option? I think, I, in a way, I didn't realise. I think, like, I was, when I was 15, I was in a band and then they were playing at, um, what was Thames Poly at the time, so like a sort of a university. And I was, I was singing back in vocals in this sort of punk band and then I was too young to be able to go to the gig. <laughs> but I'd sort of get, people would ask me to do things and then I, I did sort of backing vocals for people and then I'd get asked to do things. So I didn't really ever have a plan. I just got asked to do stuff. Right. And then when I was equally when I was 25, I was lucky to meet a woman called Jennifer John and she, I met her in a club actually, we were, and she was performing and I spoke to her afterwards and said, you know, I really enjoyed your performance and she ran a weekly workshop and we met. And then later that year, we set up Sense of Sound, which is our business that I ran with Jenny and with Perry Aline Hughes and Safina Aziz. Um, and that was 
again, both things. We had a, a sort of commercial side, which was about social work, choirs performing, us all performing as individual artists. And then a charitable side, which was a bit like Gareth Malone going to a, a, a housing estate and getting people to sing. It was kind of, and, what, and set up our own courses. So for me, that kind of doing and teaching have always been very symbiotic, I suppose. They really, you know, they feed each other. So at some point you just realised, oh, hello, this is my career. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I think I'm quite a doer. So like, I didn't really know anything about running a business or I was like, oh yeah, let's set up a business. And, but sometimes if you've got that energy and enthusiasm for something, you learn it on the job. And there, of course, there are things I would have done differently had I known more. But I think just that pragmatic, give it a go, keep learning, keep getting better. That's probably been the driving force. Mm. Mm. I think, yes, if I'd stopped to think or if I'd got advice about some of the projects I've started, I definitely wouldn't have done them. The magazine being one of those. But anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then, you know, that, thank you for doing it because it's a brilliant service to other singers. So thank you. I think it's what I wanted. That's actually what propels me is usually I set up things that I wish I had when I got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the so the teaching sort of came along with uh, working with choirs and, mm. and then started to take on students. Is that how it worked? Yeah, and I think um, yeah, I did mainly choirs and things. And then when I moved back down to London, because Centre Town was established in Liverpool, and when I moved back down to London, um, I got a job at Vocal Tech, which is now BIM, doing one to one lessons. And it was very early days, so we're only running their first course. Um, and I started teaching one-to-one -one there. And then I, one of the teachers left. And so I got a job teaching on the course, <laughs> which was really because I was probably the only other person they knew. Um, so I did that. Yeah. And then, so I then started sort of teaching, starting to get more, for, more formally and then into higher education, then became head of vocals there, then left that to sort of do my own thing. Um, yeah. So a lot of things, I think sometimes it's going for opportunities when they're there, even if, and a lot of things have been like that. I think, it's nice to hear when people have a plan and they've gone with it. But a lot of my things have been a bit random and I've just gone, oh yeah, okay then, I'll, I'll try my best. And, I'll, and I always really prep and try and learn all the time and try and, and I still do that. I'm still like that. I still try and get new knowledge, get, get, keep growing as a singer and as a teacher. So when you first started realising that this one-to-one -one thing was part of what you did, mm -hmm. um, what, how did you teach? Like, had you done some research did you teach what you'd learned or was there any method to the way that you taught mm, that's really interesting I think there was when I started I read a lot of books but there I think in terms of resources like what's really improved and what's so exciting now is one in te technology um and also I think I learned a lot from other singers and I know I was always one I've always gone to lots of different workshops and things everything from like beatboxing to Tuvan over overtone singing and when I was 24 I did a placement at a recording studio it's a women owned, owned women owned recording studio with overtones and I worked with Carol Grimes there another real, real key moment of learning was um Mary Beth uh Mary Beth Dane's vocal anatomy course and that that was a real game changer for me actually really understanding what was going on in the body because what I realized now was a lot of the books were great for exercises and for the general understanding of it, but they weren't actually very specific. It was a lot of sort of what I reckon. <laughs> and, and some of that was useful, but I think sometimes with teaching, being able to really listen and to also 
give people that sort of space and confidence to grow and um like I, I'm quite a positive person in the sense that I really appreciate the people that are in front of me and I think I think what my strength was even when I had less knowledge was I was able to bring the best out of people and to acknowledge that and I think that seeing people flourish giving them feedback and that side of things I was quite drawn to anyway and then the knowledge built as as obviously as a community we've got access to incredible knowledge and it's, it's a really exciting time to be in this world I think but maybe 20 years ago there wasn't the same amount of knowledge out there mm. or not as accessible maybe. Mm. What, what else have you noticed that's changed with the teaching, singing teaching culture? I think definitely among people that I know I think there's a move away from being from understanding there's a lot of different ways of calling something a name and there's lots of different interpretations of what that might be and I think hopefully we're becoming a lot more collaborative and a bit less rigid in our this is the way because it's a way and that's like anything it's like you might prefer hatha yoga or ashtanga or vinyasa but it's all yoga but also which is the best for you and what suits that person which teacher but I think that kind of there's a lovely sense I think there's a really exciting sense of community and exploration and sharing at the moment which I is I think it's very positive yeah no I agree I agree definitely in conversation conversations I've been having recently with people that and and I could be you know one of those people myself who I know were much more steeped in a particular methodology the conversation now is much more of what actually I use that when that's appropriate and then I approach it slightly differently depending on the student and what they need or what their voice is already doing so those conversations were not happening as much when mm. I first started out teaching in um, around 2003 in, in London mm. you were either one thing or another and yeah. if you weren't one of those things then you weren't regarded so yes I agree it's it's much better now and also a thing to say about that though I think is really important is everyone needs a way in and the more you know, the more informed you are, the, the different you can teach. But everyone's kind of teaching the best they can at the time. And as long as you're not pretending to know things you don't know, mm. it's okay to say, I don't know, I'll find out. Particularly for new teachers, I think. Um, you know, you, there are other skills for teaching. Obviously, the knowledge is crucial. But being empathetic, being challenging, being structured, being organised, they're all attributes of teachers as well. Mm. I agree. So what, what kind of knowledge or understanding or aha moments do you recall actually changed the way that you worked with the voice? Can you remember anything specific? Um, definitely, definitely the Mary Beth, the vocal anatomy course for, for more than one reason, actually. One was what, what she did brilliantly was she got us to build models of the larynx. And I think all the drawings I've seen before were 2D. I hadn't really kind of felt like what, how the cricoid cartilage works with the thyroid cartilage and all those things. I hadn't, I hadn't been able to kind of process it in a way that made sense. It was always like biology drawings. Yeah. So that, and I'd seen, obviously I'd seen um, laryngoscopes and seen the stroboscoped images, but to actually see it in 3D was fantastic. And also the other thing it made me really realize was kind of aside from the vocal teaching was how much more important the inside of our body is than our outside. And especially in, as singers or whatever, there's a lot of judgment on the appearance, which is, is part of your way you present to the world. But also in terms of as growing older and all those things, it really what's happening inside is so much more crucial. And that, 
I think that's the thing, isn't it? With singers, our instrument's inside our body. We can't put it down at the end of the day. We can't. So, and remembering it's in our body. So I think for me, it's like, we are this whole thing. It's not like from here to here or from, I'll show the camera from here to here. It's the whole thing, you know, and, and how, how your posture is affects your voice. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that was a revelation. I think something I did recently that has really opened up again for me is I went to, I've, I've been a fan of um, Meredith Monk's work for a long time. She's an experimental vocal composer mainly. Um, and she does theatre pieces. And I work, went to work with six of her sort of close um, associates who are in her company, uh, the house. And, and just really improvising for three days, using my body and improvising for three days was just wonderful, which has really opened my voice up. And I was kind of singing kind of notes so freely and, and remembering to keep feeding yourself, you know. So I think for me, I never separate being a singer and being a teacher because... I don't know, how I express myself is through singing. And so, yeah, and I don't think that's not necessarily, it's not to say every singing vocal coach or singing teacher has to be a performer. But for me, I don't know, I, I, I they're, they're, not, they're not separate for me. Mm. Yeah. So I'd love to find out a little bit more about your work with the British Lung Foundation. So mm -hmm. how did that start? What was your, what was your, um, uh, in, what was the impetus to go in and do this work? Um, there was, I think I was recommended, I'd booked, when I was with Sense of Soundstill, we did a, a kind of singing and health day and I'd booked um, Victoria Hume and Feeney Cave to do um, some work on singing for health at that, at that conference. And so we sort of knew about each other's work and they were looking for someone to cover some sessions at Harefield Hospital and my name came up so and actually it came at a really good time it came at a time I often can't do sort of weekly things but at this particular point I could um and what amazed me about the work I went to to see Joe Foster work at um, Royal Brompton and the Royal Brompton Hospital and Harefield Hospital are associated and I've always done quite a lot of work with singing and health and well-being and I've researched it when I did my first master's um and what amazed me about the work was actually how active the people were. And there were people there awaiting, awaiting transplants. There were people there with um, oxygen machines. Um, and, and I found the work incredibly rewarding, like um, really wonderful people to be with. I really enjoyed my time with them. And it was kind of, because for me, singing's like a very human, it's part of our birthright. Singing, you know, whether you do it for career, you do it. We, the humans who are evolved have evolved to sing. And singing so much more, than getting up on stage it's actually sharing community it's um helping people to connect with each other it's, it's it kind of releases all the serotonin endorphins it's, it releases oxytocin when people are singing together and and that part of my work is really hugely important to kind of keep that human connection of why we sing and actually to, in a way that's probably more important than getting on a stage and going here i am you know it's, it's like we can all sing and we can all share music and that's probably my driving force in what I do. And I'm lucky that I get to share that all the time. So I found it incredibly rewarding to do it. And then it came, it came to a point where I couldn't do it weekly, but then I covered sessions for other people. Um, and then when an opportunity came up to sort of train on it, Feeney Cave was already doing that. And she asked me and another woman called Elizabeth Swain to be involved. Um, so I was involved with the, a bit of research and then as part of my master's I'm doing now, which is research-based with voice workshop, um, I looked at that and, and looked at the research based on 
on any specific vocal issues that can arise with obstructive lung diseases. And I specialise in that. That's what my research was in. Um, so it's really interesting. It's a really interesting singing. It's a very it's a really interesting inter intervention for singing and health and well-being. And there's lots of good research coming out on that. And I think I think it's something the Arts Council are going to start focusing on a little bit more next year as well. So yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's it it gives me. Um, Sorry, I'm really rambling, but it gives me another aspect to the singing that I find really fulfilling. Can you tell us about the toolkit that you developed? The toolkit, yeah. Um, so what I discovered with the Singing for Lung Health is that because with the obstructive lung diseases, there's, you need to focus on the exhalation. Obviously, singing is on the exhalation. So what a lot of the research had found was that um, singing is very good for comorbidities such as um, anxiety, depression, social exclusion but also there was a lot of self-reporting on improved breath management so when people felt like they were getting um, short of breath when they were out it then had the tools to be able to um get that back under control so they could manage the anxiety alongside that and manage their breathlessness um now that's that's a sort of interesting area because it hasn't really come out in the research that's been done on the trials but it's very strong in the self-reporting so in terms of qualitative that's coming out but what I also realized when I did the research was how high the incidence of dysphonia can be and studies range from 35% in a group of people with lung health problems to 80% different studies have found so it's looking at how you can work with voices more safely while you're working with them and, and then also being very mindful of um, that self-management aspect and people I think initially there wasn't necessarily a focus on the quality of singing, but I think what might happen over time, and this is what we're sort of looking at now, is that the quality of singing might impact on the breath management. Because obviously we manage our breath when we're singing, singers do that all the time. So that's kind of where we're up to. It's very, very early days, but the toolkit was looking at um, things like yawn sigh, because with asthma sometimes there can be a rising of the larynx, so looking at how to get the larynx back down things like the SOVTs and, and sort of the semi-occluded vocal tract exercises, straw phonation, lip bubbles, all those things for the, because obviously there's so much great research on that. Um, looking at onsets, so looking at the, the glottic closure or going from an aspirate onset into glottic into the full tone, because then it's, it's kind of getting everything managed at glottic level as well. So it, there's kind of few strategies that we think will help, hopefully help people. Um, yeah, I mean, useful for all singers, but probably specific to this group as well. So when somebody's having some respiratory problems with, um, in, is it particular, specific to certain kinds of lung disease or just? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, one I, the ones I, I researched sort of addressed was COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disorder, which is things like emphysema um, and asthma. So they're the, the obstructive diseases. Yeah. So it, it focused on those. So how are the vocal folds affected in those conditions? Well, if you haven't got enough breath to support, support the sound, I suppose, how we think about it in, in terms of singing, you're not going to get good glottic closure. So the lack of the breath is going to... Well, there's lots... To be honest, it's complex. There's lots of different reasons because... Um, but, yeah, I'll try and cut a long story short, but there's things that can happen because a lot of people with... COPD in particular have often been smokers, so there's things that might arise from that. So there's, there are specific things um, that the, the, the lack of breath 
has an impact on voice, which has an impact on obviously your everyday and how you communicate. So really it's about that. It's about kind of can, can improve breath management and glottic function. Because really, hmm, I'm trying to explain this better. Well, let me ask you a question. So yeah. is uh, vocal fold closure or inadequate vocal fold closure or inadequate um, uh, closed quotient time a mm. direct result of the too much air coming through or because they've um, been misusing the larynx and so therefore their vocal folds get swollen or is it because functionally the vocal folds can't close as well in those conditions? It's because there's not enough breath coming out to give efficient glottic function that's right. the that's the reason but it can be compounded by other things like acid reflux that might affect at a laryngeal level but right. literally at, at breathe at lung function level that's what's called that's the main issue so there's not enough um power um, it's not yeah not enough expiratory pressure to get the vibrators working yeah, yeah. okay yeah but it can be compounded with lots of other things that people may have that present with those diseases yeah Thank you. That's really how we get there then. I do know no, where I'm explaining Because, yeah. I mean, obviously from my background, you know, yeah. I, I have a different way of thinking about things and, and also, um, you know, I, I'm always wanting to know, so why is it doing that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's causing that problem? Okay, so if it's because there's not enough air coming through, are there some things, say, if a singing teacher's working with someone who's got some... Um, you know, kind of lung function compromise, whether mm. it's OAPD or emphysema or, you know, asthma or anything like that. Mm. Are there any recommendations that you have of exercises or should the teacher just say, no, I can't work with you or should they do some extra training? I mean, what's what's your recommendation in that situation? I think there are some really good resources through the British Lung Foundation. There's actually starting to be a lot of research um, in singing and lung health. So I'd say... With anything, like when I work with my community choir, there's a lot of people with different needs. So um, like a wheelchair user, someone with COPD, someone else with learning difficulties. And I think it's also speak, really, it's important to speak to the person that's got whatever they're, and we've all, you know, we've all got limitations in what we think we can do or what we actually can do. So it's really working with that person to work with them optimally and not to be scared of finding out what that is. And if you don't know, not being scared to find out. Okay, that's great. Um, and that sounds like a really wonderful resource. So are there some courses or things that sing, singing teachers can do? Yeah, and I think there's going to be a new resource, actually, because at, at the moment, the singing, the British Lung Foundation is going through some changes, so I think there will be a new website, so I can let people know when that's available. Okay. Yeah. I might yeah. I'll put a link into the, the show notes. Right. Okay, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is... Um, you work uh, on the voice with the adults and you have also worked on the voice with uh, the kids as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot of singing teachers get singers coming in saying they want to go onto this competition or maybe even saying, I've got an audition coming up. Um, I would love to get some advice on how a singing teacher can best prepare a singer for these kind of shows if they've never done anything like this before and also not, not just vocally but maybe mm. physically and mentally as well yeah I think um, in a way it's an audition it's the same the same principles apply to any audition in any environment 
and it's thinking about um to me there's almost like four aspects to preparation so personality like what you what's different about you what are your strengths what defines you also how in a way how you how you make an impression when you walk into a room generally so sort of getting to know someone and getting to know who they are and there's there's some artists that are brilliant at that on stage and you, know, you feel like you get to know that artist and for other people it's more like their aloofness is part of the allure and whatever works for you it's kind of finding that um and i think maybe sometimes people worry about the sort of tv aspect is you know you've got to have a story but i would just say we all have our story you know we all have a story and and yours isn't the same as anyone else's and that's that's fine it doesn't have to be a big dramatic thing it might be that you i don't know you i don't know love archery it's gonna be anything you know but it's just like what are you who are you and kind of understanding that's part of it um musicality is obviously really important you know knowing that you are you've got all your you're singing in tune you're singing you know that your instrument works in the way optimal way for you to express yourself in the way that you want to um i'd say your physicality is really important and i including that in sort of technical aspects but also the physical performance and a lot of, we spend a lot of time thinking about the vocal performance which is of course important but the way you embody a song the way you bring it to life the way you use gesture even the way you give yourself away in terms of your leg shaking or anything you know the physical habits you have um and the other thing is individuality like i think understanding how you express a song or you interpret a song that the sort of artistry part is important so i think i find it helpful to think about it in those four aspects so sort of the personality the musicality individuality and uh, physicality is there anything that a teacher could do to mentally prepare a student for these auditions? Yeah, I think generally there's, there's going into something very rehearsed. I know it sounds like really obvious, but if you know what you're doing and you know what your song is, you've sung it, you, you've got your game plan, you know what you're there to do is helpful. So preparation is helpful. I think also not worrying about it if you get a no, because I think we all have aspects in our career or times where maybe we, don't, we didn't do quite as well as we thought we would, our performance wasn't as on point as it could have been, but just developing that resilience and understanding that there isn't only one opportunity, you can, do, you can come back another time, you know, you're not written off and to not, not put too much onto it, because sometimes you might have done everything right, but it's not your day or the person you're with, it might, they, might be, you know, they might not be as receptive as they could be, you know, there's all kinds of things. Um, so, and I think also, but also getting into a mindset of feeling really positive about that, like going in thinking, not feeling like, oh, they're not going to like what I do. Going in going, you know, I'm going to do my best. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to learn something. and I'm going to meet some people. You know, go in with a sort of attitude that isn't totally under pressure, that it will be a learning experience, whatever it is. I would say those things. And obviously being as technically prepared as you can be. And for me, the real difference is, singing a song like you mean it singing a song like I can imagine you on stage when you're in a hotel room <laughs> in wherever you know like just uh, there's a truth in really emotional singing that if you can find that which can be very hard in an un, in a seemingly judgmental environment but actually most people want you to do well because and it's also it's it's a very um it's very much an exchange because as much as people want to do well at an audition. 
people want people to do well they're looking for singers you know so remembering that there's a need for it and it's, there's always a relationship there it's not like I'm at their mercy you're not you know you're going to do what you do anyway and and if you want to be a singer there's going to be loads of forks in the road and loads of journeys to that and that's all fine mm. can I ask from a career point of view how you got into uh doing this kind of work and because you also work on the Michael McIntyre shows that right? yeah 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 um to, to be honest it was totally by chance I was I got a phone call from someone who was um a producer on The Voice and they said they'd heard good things about me and at that time I'd been working at head of vocal at what was vocal tech that's now BIM and I was just kind of doing my thing and doing my private practice and doing my choirs and doing sense of sound and everything at that time um and I just sort of spent a long time I had chicken pox as well at the time and I spent like a day of my pajamas like really putting my CV together and reading it and then I think I don't know I mean I think I was lucky that Obviously, then, then I was only booked to do the audition tour for the first series. And then I realised they needed more coaches, so then I got invited back. So there's definitely an element of luck in that. And then I think, I don't know, it's, I don't know. I think everyone has something unique to bring to that situation, so it's not necessarily, I don't know. I think sometimes you're lucky, but also I've really, I really enjoy it, and I enjoy, I enjoy working with singers. Like, I love being able to feel someone grow, see them progress. So, so I, I'm very, very passionate about what I do. And hopefully, I think anyone who's probably in this industry is like that because you've had to be a self-starter. You've had to find your way through it because it's not a, if I do this, this will happen career, you know. So, yeah, just love what you do and try and be the best you can be at it, really. What are the challenges of working in this kind of environment? Sometimes time, that you have to turn around things sort of relatively quickly. But generally, it's reasonable. and. Um, yeah, that's that's probably it. That's that's probably it. It's like sometimes you'd like a little bit more time, but it's not that you don't have enough time. It's just you could always do more. <laughs> do you have input uh, into the songs that get chosen for the singers? Or? It's a team. The coaches have a lot of input. The singers have input. The it's a team effort. I mean, what I think, like anything in the music industry or um, and and television, is not really any different. It's a huge collaborative project and and that's what's actually lovely about it it's great being part of something that everyone's working to make something work well and that's yeah it's, it's, a, it's a great team and I find it a very positive environment actually yeah uh there was one thing else I wanted to ask you about oh yes I wanted to ask you about the Paloma Faith song and oh, yeah. you could tell us how that came about and, and tell us a bit of the background yeah well uh, the, uh, when I first knew about it so the job changed quite a lot from what I was first asked to do but which was to um get a choir of people who aren't used to singing and obviously I do quite a lot of community based stuff as well and that's my background really um but then and it changed a bit and it ends up being uh writing a vocal arrangement for a Christmas song that was used for um thank you midwife which is a campaign to say because obviously over Christmas midwives don't stop you know and and um then Paloma was the artist who was singing the song. So she sang, sang beautiful rendition of Silent Night. And I was lucky enough to uh, write the vocal arrangement for that. So, yeah, it was a really lovely project. And my mum was a midwife, so that was really nice to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. So do you, how would you split your time then between your three jobs? Or your several jobs? Several jobs. Um, it's not really a weekly thing. It's more of a, a phased thing. Because so, I run a festival as well and create the music for that and lots of things. And also, I think... I, I tend to get my time in phases because even though the, the voice 
it goes on throughout the year often. There's only times of it where you might be very busy for a few weeks and then maybe nothing for a couple of weeks. So it's, um, yeah, it balances as well. I think probably the challenge is to make time to be creative and to for my own writing and all that kind of thing. So that's my, that's my thing for this year is kind of, I've got these things called golden bowl, which are my golden bowl day is like, I'm just writing. I'm not answering the phone. I'm just doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there anything that you would really love to see if you were queen of the world for the day? Yeah. Anything you would really love to see about the singing teaching world um, come into being? Hmm. I think it's actually in a really love, good place. I think we're actually in a time where, we, because compute, sort of, you know, brain imaging, technology, communication, I think maybe I'd like there to be more diversity in it. I think maybe sometimes, like my thing is like every voice has a right to be heard. And I would like that, that would be, if I was queen for the day, I'd like to hear everyone's voice and not necessarily in a singing way, but I think we need to be as good at listening as we are at speaking and singing. (laughs) So yeah, listen, listen actively, appreciate more. And just enjoy, enjoy the humanity, the shared humanity of, you know, that, that creative exchange that singing gives us. And you can do, you can express yourself in any way you want, but singing is a beautiful way of doing it. Well, on that note, which is a beautiful one, I'll say thank you very much for your time and um, have a great week ahead. And I look forward to catching up with you next time and seeing where things are and what you've been doing. And thank you so much, Liz. It's been really lovely to spend time with you. And, and thanks for everything you're doing to help singers and all of us kind of share our information. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's why I do the show so I can catch up with people like yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's really lovely. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Do, do, do.